The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you by Venetour Racing Social. If you are planning a racing trip to Europe or further afield, check out Venetour Racing Social for a large range of bespoke racing holidays at venetour.co.uk. Now, here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. In the middle of the flat season, but we're dreaming about the jumps. Yes, we still have Irish Champions Weekend, Champions Day, the Arc Weekend and the Breeders' Cup to come. Not to mention Hong Kong, the Melbourne Cup, and the Japan Cup. Yeah, all of that. Don't worry. We'll be talking about it all. But we can't help but dream about the return of the jump season. Uh, so we've got the two Jameses to go through some of the leading contenders uh, in the open company chases. Uh, first of all, a man who would much rather be out on the track than talking on a podcast, but we're grateful for his time as he recovers from injury. James Bowen, welcome to the Final Furlong Podcast. Hello, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. Very excited. <laughs> as things stand, so it's 30th of August as we're recording this. How is the recovery going? Um, yeah, it's taken ages. Obviously, I've done my, uh, done my arm the end of February. So, yeah, it's been, I've had a lot of bumps in the road, but hopefully now not far away. Hopefully in the next sort of two weeks, hopefully I'm looking to be back riding. Fingers crossed. Uh, well, two weeks time you just will be properly getting into the jump season so please god you will be back uh then and hopefully you'll get a clear yeah. run at the season too um missing Cheltenham was absolutely gut-wrenching never mind the rest of the season as well uh but well, listen we're delighted to have your insight we're going to be teaming up together on TalkSport 2 as well so lots to look forward to with you uh i'm really interested to get your insight uh and a man making his debut on the show and fascinated to get his insight as well all the way from hollywood california james woods yeah, it's not the American actor from J- uh, from Hollywood. Come on, <laughs> man! Trish, you told me we were getting a VIP celebrity on the show. Damn it! Yeah, I've, I've snuck in instead. I've um, I've used his name as an alias. <laughs> yeah, good. do you get a lot of hatred from the left for daring to be a Republican? Like, do you get tagged in various different social? How can you possibly support Trump? It's more um, it's more the Family Guy fans that are onto my back for. Uh, certain things like that but yeah oh, piece of candy no i don't get mistaken for him quite a lot but then people hear my voice and they realize it's definitely not the american guy <laughs> i have a funny feeling you've got like a party piece where you're able to pull off a perfect james woods impression maybe almost as good as my Nikki henderson impression and maybe we'll be able to sneak that one out of you before the end of the show um you're also working on, on a book i think it might actually be ready previewing the new jump season yeah, what can you tell us about it james yeah, sorry, I've done a bit of a, I say like a book, it's more of like a guide, um, a jumpers to follow for the sort of coming season. And um, I was um, I was trying to get it out there to uh, raise a bit of money for um, a charity that I'm, um, I'm quite close to, a charity called Hull for Heroes. So uh, I've had quite a few donations so far. So yeah, my idea was to, um, to basically put that out there. Uh, hopefully it brings a lot of information to people and, uh, and raise as much money as I can for a, a great charity. All right, well, what's the book called? Uh, I've just called it my jumpers to follow for the for the twenty three twenty four season. I've um I've gone through in uh, quite a lot of detail. I think uh, for obviously novice chasers, novice sailors, that sort of thing, open open chasers, and I've gone through some point to point recruits in there as well. And I think it brings quite a lot of value to people. And um, and like I say, it's obviously for a great cause. Yeah, I mean, even if you're not going to be backing backing those horses blind throughout the season, uh, just to be able to read a. a like Paul Ferguson's going to be on the show again very soon talking about his book. Um, and, and I'm sure, like Paul, you're forensically going through horses. But when you're looking at horses in bumpers, 
making their debut, for example, from the point-to-point circuit. I'm not going to know those horses if it wasn't for my point-to-point guy, who's very shy, won't come on the show, but like supplies me with endless information uh, that then I'm able to pass off as my own and go, oh yeah, this horse came from point-to-point, such and such. But even in novice hurdles, uh, if you're able to tell us about a horse that ran on a bumper last year that's not not really a mainstream bumper, wasn't something that was on um, one of the weekends that we were watching racing TV or Sky, like all of that stuff is incredibly invaluable. And even just younger horses coming through, you might forget, like people have a lot going on. That's where the Final Forum podcast comes in handy, as we remind you about these horses. Um, but even if it's just a, a horse that you're not overly familiar with, to be able to look at your book, uh, you might not be backing those horses blind for the entire season, but it will give you a much better understanding of what to expect for the season ahead. Yeah, and like, and like you say, like a, a, there's a hell of a lot of horses that can go under the radar, and obviously you've got the big the big races throughout the season, and, and all the big names, and your Mullinses, and and your Nicholses and things, but a lot of these ones that, that maybe aren't at the biggest stables and things like that, and the young ones coming through from point to points, they do they do tend to get missed. And and if, if there's not information there for you to sort of put them in your tracker, I mean, you might have a point to point horse that's that's been bought recently, but they might not be on the track for two two years or and things like that. So it's always good to get them in early and, and try not to let them get lost, really. Yeah, it's a good shout. It's a great idea. Uh, where can Final Forum Podcast listeners get your book? Yeah, basically, it's just through my uh, my Twitter account, which is um, it's at Woodsy ninety two. If you want to head over to there, people can um, can uh, DM me and, and put a donation through. I'm, I'm collecting the money uh, sort of over the next uh, seven weeks up to Chepstow, and the idea was to then uh, hopefully donate a, a decent pot to them uh, come the kickoff of the jump season. Good man, good man. Uh, listen, we'll put up a link to it as well, and hopefully we'll be having you on the show again uh, very very soon too. Um, just very quickly before we kick into this, uh, James, if, I'm sure you've been seeing some of the sales results. So obviously, Nicky is going all out to get as, as much talent as he can and every other trainer too. And then along comes this Willie Mullins character and, and Gordon Elliott. And it just seems as though they're just blowing everybody out of the water. Just as someone thinks they're about to get that 280 grand horse, bang, 320 grand from the Mullins team. Um like, is that a bit disheartening to see the the rich get richer, the strong get stronger? Yeah, it is. A, I mean, it is a little bit in, to a certain extent, you know. It, it kind of makes it a, a little bit of a, a, an unbalanced uh, division when it comes to these horses coming through and you're seeing a lot of races with a, a couple of Mullins types in there. But it is tough. I mean, you go through some of the sales and you're talking three, four hundred thousand and it's just reaching astronomical numbers and it's going to be really tough for the likes of Nichols and Henderson to, to try and compete, they're just kind of picking up the pieces, really, from whatever Mullins and um, and Elliot don't really want to go for, or maybe one every now and then they go all out to get. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. If you're going in there with, like, your if your first 10 choices are being snapped up because your owners aren't prepared to pay more than the Mullins and the Elliot owners are, well, then you're ending up with the at least your second choice. Maybe you're ending up with your 11th choice at the sales. Um, James Bowen, what are you making of the, the current activity at the sales? I mean, it's, it's to be fair to Willie Mullins, he really needs new talent. I don't know how he's going to be able to pay the bills this season with the, the horses he has currently. Like, he really needs new... He's a bit like Charlie Appleby. He desperately needs an influx of new talent to just continue crushing everything. Yeah, I, I think... Um Willie Mullins, to be fair, he wouldn't really spend 
like astronomical amounts. You see him like spending sort of 40, 50, 60, you know, on horses that that end up being rockets. Like, you know, whereas like Gordon Elliott seems to have a lot of money behind him. And it's in them like sort of Irish pointing sales. They're the top lots in normally are the good ones, you know, the like 300 granders. They normally end up being pretty good, but um, yeah, it's like the yeah, like it's it's hard to get them them owners over here, I suppose, because um, you know in general that the prize money probably isn't quite as good over here as it is in Ireland. And if you're having a top horse, uh, like why wouldn't you have it in Ireland? So it's probably hard. It's going to be harder for this country to get hold of them top lots, but. There's always going to be, you know, good horses out of out of themselves, and not as much as well, you know. So, um, yeah, it's just finding them ones really. It's hard to see it in the moment because all you see is the dominance of one particular yard or a couple of yards, um, and right now that's just the dominance of a country. Like Ireland are dominating. Um, we're yeah. dom- like the, the Presbury Cup is a joke now. Like, what's the point of even discussing that? Ireland are going to be the leading country, and there's no point in really debating it uh, unless you want to wave the tricolour around uh, and make a big thing about it. And, and I don't think we even care about that, quite frankly. I think we used to, but we used to because we had no chance of winning it. It was always going to be Britain. And yeah. so the Presbury Cup was seen as kind of like this unfair taunt being thrown in our faces. Like, well, how do you expect us to beat you, Britain? Cheltenham is in your backyard. You've got the best trainers. You have the best horses. You take our best horses. And that whole thing is just flipped. It's completely flipped now. But I wonder how yeah. how much longer this is going to go on for. Because it doesn't well, normally stay that way. Like Aidan O'Brien has stayed at the top for a very, very long time. And if you look at Aidan O'Brien compared to Said Ben Soror, uh, there's two tra- trajectories that went very different ways. Uh, and maybe William Mullins is going to build on that and continue that legacy. But at some point, like Nicky Henderson still has incredible horses. He has the best jump source maybe we've ever seen since Arkle uh, in training, and certainly the horse that most people are, are incredibly excited to see this year, and he's going to have other very talented horses. Paul Nichols, Paul Nichols has spent a lot at the sales. Maybe he's not getting the first choices, but he has spent a lot at the sales, and there's a lot of very talented uh, ex-French horses and point-to-pointers in his yards. And I'm, I'm sure he will come roaring back at some point. It's just, it, it, it's... The, the question is, like, is Ireland going to continue to dominate through Willie Mullins, Gordon Elliott, Henry de Bromhead, Joseph O'Brien, is that, and Jessica Harrington, is that just going to continue for many, many more years, or are Britain going to come roaring back? And I guess there's an even bigger question to that. If we're talking about those elite trainers, and Nichols and Henderson and Alan King, um, what happens to the smaller trainer in the UK? How do they manage to survive? And is it even possible for them to do that in this climate? Yeah, I think, uh, like you say, it's always like, you know, you rewind when you uh, rewind t- ten years, and it's sort of, it was all all Britain, and then I think it's probably it will swing s- sway back the other way. I'm sure. Um, so uh, don't ask me when, because I have no idea. Because it, it looks like uh, Ireland will dominate for the next few years again, but I'm sure they'll become a point in time where you know them them big trainers will will 
get the big horse again. Like Paul Nichols has done so well with without having probably for the last five years that top horse like he's had Denman and Quarterstar. I'm sure I'm sure he'll get them horses again and 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 sort of be dominating, you know. So same as Henderson as well. Um he's obviously always had had a top horse for the last last I don't know since I've been there anyway there's always been that one horse that's been on top but um yeah I'm sure it'll swing sway back the other way well I'm hoping it will anyway one day <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> I think, um, I'll just chime in there I think for me it's one of them where you for us the UK to sort of battle back with against the Irish do, do we want to do we have to have a real dominance of Nichols and Henderson, do we need them to just take over the way sort of Mullins and uh, Elliot do? Or because I feel like we do have a little bit more of a balanced um, season over here in terms of people taking big races. So it's an interesting one. How, how do we get to the level of Mullins and um, and Elliot? It's going to be tough, I think, for definitely the sort of the next five years. Yeah, I guess the hope for Britain is that there's so many talented trainers there, like between Fergal O'Brien, Donald McCain, David Pipe. Um, Amy Murphy. I mean, look, Emma Lavelle. Like, we could go all day listing people. You almost feel in, you almost feel like you're insulting someone if you don't mention them. But there's there's yards with prestige. There's yards with history and legacy behind them, and very talented trainers there. Uh, you just worry to a certain extent if they're being properly supported, and if like, if you're an owner and you want a Cheltenham Festival winner. Has your head just been completely turned to Ireland and, well, I better put it with Willie Mullins or I better put my horse with Gordon Elliott or I better give my horse to Henry de Bromhead? And then how does a British trainer compete with that? And I wonder how many trainer, how many owners are looking at it from a long-term point of view that if you're putting horses with, with the trainer, you're building up a partnership with that trainer that you're hoping is going to be uh, leading to longevity and success over many years, not just that you're going to have instant gratification straight away that season, winning a grade one novice hurdle, competing at Cheltenham, uh, and then dreaming about what you'll do over fences the next year. It's it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. Um, and it, it just the, the bar has been risen very, very high in Ireland. And there's even like this ex, ex-British horses like Seddon winning at the Cheltenham Festival, moved to John McConnell, and you see how well he's doing. And John McConnell is is a really interesting story in that there's a guy who's very talented, um, but was dealing with five figure racehorses. Now he's able to go into the sales and buy six figure horses, and he's doing that a little bit more. So he's been he's been dealing with the bargain basement horses. Now all of a sudden he's starting to deal with the elite horses. Well, if he's been this good so far, how much better is he going to be? With a better quality stock coming into the yard, how much more, how much higher can he fly? And I think he'll he'll fly very, very high. Um, but that again just makes it that little bit more difficult for those in Britain. And look, there's the whole thing with the BHA prize money. And if we go down this route any further, James Bowen, uh, we might just fall into a deep depression and just start <laughs> lumping on everything Willie Mullins is training for Cheltenham. So let's let's talk about the good things, shall we? Um, where Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott have the one-two in the betting for the Gold Cup. Uh, Galopin Deschamps, the defending champion, is currently the two-to-one best price. He is as short as six-to-four, but two-to-one is widely available. Uh, going through the prices the other day, I was surprised Jerry Kalam is as short as he is. I'd forgotten that he'd come down this short. Um, you can get eight-to-one 
but not with many firms. Brave Man's Game, last year's runner-up, and of course the King George winner, uh, 12 to 1 shot for the Nichols team, Shishkin. 14 to 1, Grand National winner, Corrick Rambler is 20s. And if we're going to mention Jerry Kalam, then we're obliged to mention the real whacker, 20s, uh, about his Cheltenham Festival Conqueror. Right, James Bowen, Galopin de Champ. There was a, a slight uh, doubt about whether or not this fellow was going to be able to truly stay the three mile, two and a half of a Cheltenham Gold Cup. He did it, and he did it standing on his head. Uh, he's a tremendous racehorse, but he is mortal. He bleeds. He was beaten at the Punchestown Festival. What do you make of his prospects for the new season? Um, I'd say probably much the same as last season. He became the ultimate ho- the ra- ultimate racehorse last season, didn't he? Like he switched off, whereas before he was kind of a bit keen. And I had all my doubts before the start of last season whether he would turn into a gold cup horse, but he seemed to switch off and his jumping had improved so much. And he showed that in the gold cup when he, when he won fairly easily in the end. Um, but as you say, like towards the end of last season, he got beat by fast or slow, which was probably just the fresher horse, really. I know he ran in Cheltenham fast or slow, but they probably had a hard enough race, Brave Man's Game and him in Cheltenham. So you could bring fast or slow into the mix, but um, he probably it may have just been a fluke as well. So, um, yeah, I th- I th- I think Shishkin's probably the most interesting one, really, in, the, mm. in that division for this year. Yeah, um, and listen, we'll, we'll come to him in a second, uh, but we'll we'll stay on Galopin de Champ. Um, Woods, before I bring you in, I, I have I'm obliged. Trish is telling me that I, I have to add in another caller to the Zoom. Uh, this is our international correspondent, um, uh, Ivan. Uh, Ivan Galopin de Champs, his defeat at Punchestown. Like, what did you make of that? What does that make of him for the for the rest of the season? If you can make God bleed, then people will cease to believe in him. And there will be blood in the water. And the sharks will come. And Oh, he's gone. I was going to add a follow-up question for him there. So it's always profound. It's, he almost always says the same thing, James Woods. But it's always deep, thought-provoking, and very profound. And... Look, that is the thing. I think a lot of people would look at Galopin de Champs and think, oh, God, how are we ever going to beat him? And then he gets beaten at Punchestown. So if you can make God bleed, then people cease to believe in him. So are you now doubting his ability for the new season? I'm probably not not going to doubt him. I mean, I think, as we all well know, Cheltenham, it'll have been 100% sort of wound up for that. And I think it's 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 very hard to take Punchestown festival form on exactly what it is because obviously it's, it's after Cheltenham and I do think it, it was a coming of age for him I think like you say it was, it was a big keen baby and, and this the season just gone he just seemed to come into his own and I thought it was an exceptional performance and I know he obviously got beat at Punchestown but I, I, would, I wouldn't really take that as, as collateral form really I, I, I think he'll come on I know it's obviously hard for them to come back and win a second one although it has been done a lot more lately I do think um, I do think he's the one to beat. Definitely, I'm excited for him for another season. Yeah, I am too. Look, he obviously sets the standard. We're not we're not Oppenheimer splitting the atom uh, with that analysis for for any means. But it's a third Gold Cup in five years for the Mullins camp. Um, the other horse to give them that was Album Photo giving them two. You would imagine the Gallop on the Champ is going to follow up. Quite frankly, he was the youngest horse in the Gold Cup field. 
that was a major negative against him. Norville and all the stats boys were telling you, seven-year-olds and gold cups. And he still went and did it. Um, and I just, look, I like Punchestown, but every now and again you get a funny result there. And and that was a that was a funny result. Um, one of the horses who was beaten that day is Brave Man's Game. And James Bowen, it just seems as though once you get past the winter with him, it's game over. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Um, he's He's been beaten in a Ballymore novice hurdle, and he was a young horse at that time, but he's now been lapped at two Aintree festivals, and then again, pretty well put in his place in a Punchestown grade one, which really should have suited him ideally. So is the plan from the Nichols team, or would you imagine that Paul Nichols will be working backwards from the King George, and then anything after that's a bonus? I'd, I'd say they'd probably go same route again, unless they sort of, they go, they went Charlie Hall, um, Charlie Hall, King George, unless they go back into the Ascot chase, which is mid middle of February, I think, which is two mile five. But I'd imagine they'll probably just go the Gold Cup route again with him. But um, you say Gallop in the Champs a bleeder. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if old Brave Man's game is a bleeder now. He wouldn't find a whole lot off the bridle, would he? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like um, I like I I don't, I don't really I, I I didn't actually know that Gallop in the Champs was a bleeder to be honest. Until oh no, I didn't. Said, but um, I didn't. Uh, no. Well, well. well. I, Ivan is is just using that from the metaphorical point of view. Um, he's not actually oh, saying okay. that. Oh no, he's de- he definitely <laughs> this fella's bleeding every time he runs. He's just like. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no! Oh no! Fake news on the final prologue. <laughs> <laughs> no. To yeah, be clear, uh, I, I, to be clear. I, Ivan's point is, if you can make God bleed, then people will cease to believe in him. So now that now that Gallop of the Champs has been beaten in a grade one over three miles, people might just go, hey, this fella might not be all he's cracked up to be. There might be a young novice that'll come along and give him a, give him a thrashing, as opposed to the Mullins camper panicking that he's bleeding. No, that, that hasn't happened. Yeah. No, he wouldn't strike me as a bleeder, to be fair, but uh, no. Um, Patrick, yeah, no I, Patrick I, Mullins I, is yeah. freaking out listening to this. He's like, Jesus Christ, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We made all this up on the spot here. Um yeah, no, I think um Brave Man's game, I think he's probably more suited to the three mile rather than the three mile two. Like coming after the last there he seemed to empty a little bit in the gold cup. So um yeah, I th- I think I think they'll probably go down that route again, Charlie Hall three mile. Um then the King George, but Yes, I th- I think you'd probably probably be great in them too. So probably, yeah, that makes sense to me. I I was thinking, um, and and again, Ivan Venko just causing absolute chaos on the show. Ivan back on the show next week with another profound comment. Um, <laughs> I was wondering if they might aim at the Dublin Racing Festival with Brave Man's Game. That after if he comes out of the King George, okay, because it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen at the Spring Festivals. So if you're going to be able to win another grade one staying chase, yeah, you're going to have to take on Gallop on Champ. But if you're going to beat him, maybe in his final prep run for Cheltenham, that would be the time. And I think he'd be better he off. Be yeah, that's the thing. He might not. And listen, he might not be able to beat him at, at Leopardstown. But I, uh, listen, the Leopardstown track and that distance of three miles might suit Brave Man's game a whole lot better than Cheltenham and three mile, two and a half furlongs. 
there were so many people queuing up to tell you this fella had no chance in the Gold Cup. And I was one of the few to say, no, he does. And we put him up last year at 33 to 1 on the show. Um, and he ran his heart out. He ran an absolute blinder. And early on in that Gold Cup, Gallup on Deschamps looked in trouble. Like, Gallup on Deschamps was not jumping fluently. There was a, a moment very early in the race where Paul Townend had to get after him. And in the end, like, if you just watch the closing stages on the Racing Post website or on the Racing TV website, you're thinking, oh, yeah, he, he strolled to success. He was always the winner of that day. Not early on, he wasn't. There was a brief few moments, might have only been a few seconds, but still, at grade one level, it's enough to make you think, oh, geez, is he going to be all right? Uh, and I'd, I'd be more inclined to look at that in terms of Punchestown, that he just had a hard race at Cheltenham, and that's what's happened at Punchestown. It's just caught up with him. Um, but the reason I mentioned that about Brave Man's game is that he, like, he, he's traveled so well into the race and looks like he's going to win until Gallopin just r- ranges up alongside him. But down over a shorter trip at Leopardstown, where Gallopin won't be fully primed. He'll be ready, but he'll be peaked for Cheltenham. If you can get him out quick enough after the King George, maybe it's another option for you to be able to, to continue it because I just don't see how Brave Man's game wins another grade one after the King George. I think he'll take all the beating there, but if you're going to try and win another one that season, maybe the DRF would be the place to come. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think I think you are probably right. I do agree with uh, with James where I think it will go the sort of the simple Charlie Hall route into the King George. And, and like you say, I suppose it's what Nichols wants out of the horse. Does he want to go... Uh, over to Ireland quite quickly after the uh, the King George and and travel over and then travel back, obviously for the for the Gold Cup or does he just do his best preparation similar to like you say with Mullins with the likes of Albon Fort where they maybe only have two runs before a Gold Cup, you know does he want to try and prepare him for another another tilt at it where if you are going to beat Galloping the the chance would be to obviously try and take it in a Gold Cup sort of thing. Mm. I suppose the other thing is if you did come over for the Dublin Racing Festival and you defeated Gallopin de Champ. And then you're beaten in the Gold Cup. You're going to be kicking yourself, thinking, "Oh, I've compromised this chance. We blew it. We could have won the Cheltenham Gold Cup, but we've sacrificed that to win an Irish Gold Cup." When in actual fact, maybe the Cheltenham Gold Cup will never really suit Brave Man's game. Um, so even if you win an Irish Gold Cup, but you're then beaten the Cheltenham, you might be thinking to yourself, "Oh, we've ruined our chance of winning at Cheltenham." When in actual fact, you just did the right thing for the horse. It's incredibly complex, um, but. There's still very exciting things to happen with, with that horse. Um, are we all in agreement that he is absolutely the one they all have to beat in the King George? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I do. I do think Braman's game has got a good chance. I do think he stays, and I do think it, it would have another go at it. But um, like I say, Galloping Deschamps just looks an elite animal. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he won't be coming over to Kempton. I suppose there's a slight possibility that Alaho does because they they were talking the talk. They were talking the talk for last season that he was going to run in the King George, and then obviously he got that injury. So maybe if Alaho is able to turn out and have some kind of a prep run, maybe the King George, but that, that day has probably come and gone. 
Um, and Brave Man's Game is a best price five to two. Generally, he's seven to four. There's only one firm going five to two. And if you would like to be mentioned on the Final Furlong podcast, then sponsor the show and we'll mention you all day long. Otherwise, ain't no one getting mentioned. Um, let's go to Shishkin. Because, uh, James, you were mentioning him as being a, a very, very interesting one. And shout out to Declan Ricks of At The Races, because we had him on, well, we always have him on TalkSport 2 on a Friday. You'll be talking to him with, with me this week uh, as we preview the, the weekend's betting. And to be fair to Rixie, he was calling out Nicky. He was calling out your boss, James. Come on, Nicky, don't bottle it. Run him in the Gold Cup. You're going to get one chance at this. This is clearly the distance he wants. And he went for the soft option of the Ryanair, and it all went horribly wrong. But up over the staying distance at Aintree, he was mustered. So he's clearly a, he's clearly exceptionally talented, but he's also clearly a really tricky horse these days in that he'll come off the bridle and do things that he wasn't doing in his younger days. But you all must have been delighted with that performance at Aintree. Yeah, he, he was really good that day. Obviously, um, jumping left has been a bit of his issue. Um sort of last season he just kept jumping in behind horses but I think um, he'd nearly be the one to beat in the King George I'd, I'd fancy him over Brave Man's game anyway uh, if, he, if he went down that way which I'm sure he will um, like he's actually for me better suited going right handed because even though he jumps left he's, he's jumping into space and he seems a lot happier jumping into space rather than jumping in behind other horses and he just gets into a better rhythm going that way um, like when he won the uh, Ascot, I think he, I think he won the Ascot Chase last year, didn't he? Yep. Um, he picked Dory, and he travelled like mad that day. And then obviously he went to Cheltenham and uh, over the first two jumped violently left, and then he ended up being being towards the rear and never really travelling. So I think on a flat right-handed course over three mile, I think Shishkin will be extremely hard to beat. And I wouldn't mind seeing um, seeing a bit of headgear on him as well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, um, we mentioned that. Uh, I, I think it was Dennis O'Regan and I were talking about possibly putting cheek pieces on him and that that might wake him up. Is that a conversation that's been had at Seven Barrows? I'm not in that conversation, to be honest, but um, I think, I'm sure. I think you are. You just don't want to. Uh... You just don't want to admit that you are. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I'd put blinkers on him straight away, I would. <laughs> blinkers. Okay. Um, I mean, look, that was... Yeah, a, that was I a, don't know. I think it was straight enough. Yeah, because what has Nico said to you about, um, or, or what is the, the or just just your overall view of, um, like, the, the run in the Ryanair chase was pretty disheartening because he, he was so good in the Ascot chase. And... Um, like he's gone into like we all. To be fair, we took him on on the final furlong. Um, he's one of the dominant favourites going into the Cheltenham Festival, and uh, Mark, Paul, and I, we all took him on, and we all put up and Voyalan. So yeah, pat on the back. Self praise is no praise, but it it wasn't that we dislike Siskin. It's just that he was a, he was a very short price for a Grade One chase at Cheltenham, and you're getting ten to one about a horse who's got a great record at the Cheltenham Festival and a very good record when he's fresh. So just there was a number of contributing factors that pointed to him, um, but then he comes out at entry and does what he does there, and and he's he's so good, and clearly stamina is not going to be an issue for him. But when you're having when Nico is having to get after him early in a race, that's obviously not helpful. Um, why has that come about? What what has happened with his character, or what's changed with his 
mentality that that's something that he, that's a character trait that he's now developed um, that he wasn't showcasing as a novice chaser and, and wasn't showcasing in in his champion chase uh, season over fences. Yeah, I think when you look back, he's always kind of had it in him because when he won the Supreme, he was about like in the first quarter of the he was in the first quarter of the field most of the way around, and then he dropped back to being about three quarters of the way back, and then came came and finished strong. Um, for me, I think he's always really cried out for for a bit further. Um, I've always thought, even when he's running in his novice chases, he always looked as though he was going to get two and a half. And he obviously it was well publicized how he had a bit of a wind issue, which obviously wouldn't have helped. And then you're sort of maybe running that a trip that's a bit too short. And when you combine them two things, um, you know, he he even though he's probably winning them races easily by the looks of it, he's probably actually putting a lot more effort in than maybe it looks as though he is. Um so it's probably just like um, like every horse, a lot of horses do go the same. And I think stepping up to three mile again, um, and I think the fact that he jumps left as well, going right-handed will probably suit him better as well, even though that doesn't make sense to many people. But he's jumping into space. I just think... Um, he does make it awkward for himself by going that way. And he's always had it in him to go left anyway. So, yeah, I think it's just natural progression for a horse, really. That race is a little bit behind the bridle. Len's got a bit of a wind issue running over a trip that's maybe a bit sharp for him. They'll always end up going that way, inclined racing behind the bridle, if that makes sense. It does. Would you, if you are going to apply some kind of headgear to him, would you wait until King George Day? Would you let him have his prep run and then apply them? Or is it better that he gets used to the headgear in his seasonal debut so that that brings him on further in the King George? How, how would be the best way to, to implement them and use them? Um, I, I, well, I'm nearly 100% sure. He probably won't have them on first time out. So, um, yeah, that's... That, and, and the thing is, if he runs well first time out, you'll probably say, well, he doesn't need them now. So yeah. um, when, when do you start, like, you know? But... Um, for me, I like you know you don't really need practice in with headgear on. He'll school with them at home, I'm sure. But if he ever does have them on, but um, yeah, I think he's probably he's you could probably get away without using them until he comes to sort of the spring festivals anyway. You know, um, his biggest problem is going to be not first time out or second time out. It'll probably be towards the sort of his third or fourth run in the season where he'll probably end up getting a bit more lethargic, you know? It does sound counterintuitive, James Woods, to say go right-handed with a horse who jumps left-handed, but I get it. It actually, there is a bit of sense to it, and we've seen that play out with some horses where it, it does work out very well for them. It's a fascinating clash. Brave Man's Game, the defending champion in the King George versus Shishkin. Um, and then, of course, you're aiming for a Gold Cup then afterwards, or we'll we'll see how that whole thing pans out with him. But how serious a threat do you label him in, in the King George, and how tempted are you by prices of 11 to 2 is available? Yeah, I think, I mean, listening to that that point there about him potentially being better going right-handed, even though he jumps left, you never really think about the fact, the fact that he's jumping into space rather than in behind horses. 
So that's actually quite an interesting uh, point to take forward. But I do think the King George, it would obviously be a massive player. I think it's it's like the old saying, you've got Brave Man's game who's absolutely electric over his fences and, and Shishkin who can maybe have a bit of a, a bit of a lazy day, but it's, it, you know how, how strongly he stays. So I do think it's going to be such an interesting clash if they do uh, come against each other in the King George. And, and to be honest, I do think that would be what would happen. And uh, but I do agree. I, I know that the, everyone keeps saying about the headgear, but it just, just makes you wonder at what conversations have been been had already and, and why they haven't applied that already. But I do think in terms of the, the Gold Cup, it's just one of them. He just can't seem to get his jumping together when it comes to the at the end of the towards the end of the season. So whether he'd be able to um, keep up with the with the pace of a of a gold cup, I'm I'm not quite I'm not quite sure on that to be honest. King George definitely, I think, could be a player. Yeah, I'm almost tempted to back him for the King George because they've they've all got to get there, and I hope Brave Man's game does. I'd love to see him go back to back, or at least line up in a clash with Shishkin. But if you're getting five to one about Shishkin. He's probably not going to be that price on the day, and he certainly won't be that price if Brave Man's game is out for some reason. So, yeah, obviously, um, like you say, the King George field always always seems to cut up. There's always a lot of names in there that don't seem to to turn up. So, yeah, you're getting an each way price already. I think it's definitely one to take early on before it uh, before it cuts up. Would you even do the scumbag each way bet? <laughs> the scumbag account closer each way bet might not go that I'm way. I'm tempted each way at thought on. Yeah, absolutely. But you mean you're you're guaranteed to get something back if that's the case. Particularly if you're then ending up in a five runner field, you're laughing all the way to the bank if that's the case. Uh, you're also laughing all the way as the bookmaker closes your account. Those pesky swines. Um, but yeah, that's that five to one, eleven to two. That does seem very, very fair. Actually, very. In a world where anti post betting is effectively dead, that's very, very fair. Um, proper clash between those two. Hopefully, Lom Press is back as well, and he may very well be a contender. Maybe Jerry Kalam uh, will be a contender. Uh, just to wrap up Shishkin's Gold Cup chances, though, James Woods, by the time the Gold Cup comes around, he's going to be 10. And history tells us 10-year-olds don't win Gold Cups. Yeah, I, th- I think he's going str- to struggle in a Gold Cup. I get, I, you know, Obviously, he stays all day long, and I do think the step-up's going to suit. But when you've got the likes of, of Gallop and Deschamps, and Brave Man's game, we're obviously going to still be improving. I just think it's going to be an almighty task at 10-year-old for him to to get close to these. He may well go on and place, potentially, but I think if he, if he lands up in a Gold Cup, it probably won't be, won't be a bet for me at all, to be honest. I agree. I agree. Um, I wonder I wonder what the real Wacker team make of the anti-post betting for the Gold Cup at Cheltenham, seeing as they win the Brown Advisory, and they're a 20-shot. And the horse who was second to them is the best price, eight to one. Um, I'm sure they might be looking at that and thinking, "What? Uh, I listen. I, I'm not. I'm not having a go at Jordan Gainford, but I've watched that brand advisory back a few times. My thought process on the day when I was covering it for Talksport, and again on the final furlong when reviewing it with Dennis O'Regan, was brilliant ride from Sam Tristan Davis, and that's what made the difference. Just a brilliant, brilliant ride from him. Um, Jerry Kalam has since gone to Aintree and been an impressive winner there. But in all fairness, uh, if we're being real about it, he's entitled to win that race in the style that he did and it wasn't a great race on paper. So I'm not entirely certain that this fellow deserves to be as short a price as he is. For all that, I really, really like him. I really like this horse. 
Um, but his mark of 159 compared to a Shishkin 173 uh, or a Gallop on Deschamps 180, maybe he's going to improve dramatically this season, but he would need to, James Bond. Yeah, I I think both of them, really. Jerry Colomb and Real Wacker probably need to improve, even though Jerry Colomb was impressive. Um, but the Real Wacker, as you said, got given a great ride and he just he just got left completely on his own and he wasn't really ever challenged so um he got his complete uh, his the he got his own way and that really told really at the end of the race um so, same with stage star he, he the same same thing that day um so i unless he improves a lot i can't see him winning any gold cup to be honest mm. I remember Dennis saying on the on the pod earlier this season, it might have even been uh, before Sandown, I think it might have been the Christmas review, that he was seeing Jerry Colomb as a future Welsh national winner. And I remember getting a lot of DMs from people going, Jesus, he won't be able to win a grade one uh, at Cheltenham if he's a future grand national winner. But I think Dennis's overall point was just that his affinity for the ground that he just loves a soft, heavy ground. He loves soft ground. So it was it was nice to see him strut his stuff then on proper good to soft ground at Aintree. Um, but how would he fare on good, genuinely good ground? And it was just a little bit deflating that he was beating the Cheltenham in the way that he was. For It was a brilliant ride from Sam, an absolutely superb ride from the front. Uh, and, he, and he got the absolute best out of the real whacker. And the real whacker, with a view to the Gold Cup, uh, to be fair, James Woods, he's now three from three at Cheltenham. Now, they are novice chases, but still, he's winning a proper grade one Cheltenham Festival novice chase, and he did it fair and square. Uh, can he really, though, both the real whacker and Jerry Colomb, which of those two do you think is more likely to be a leading Gold Cup player this season? And can either of them win an open company grade one this year? Um <sighs> I think they've got potential to win an open grade one somewhere along the line, but in terms of a gold cup, I do think um, they're probably both going to struggle. And but to be fair, I, I, prof- I probably would have the real whacker slightly ahead of Jericho on myself purely on just the way he jumps. You know, I, I, I tend to stay away as best I can from horses that go to Cheltenham and don't jump very well. I know mm. they can sort of come on, and obviously they both will improve, but I just thought the ride that Sam Tristan Davis gave the real whacker, just it was electric jumping and to hold on. Uh, to keep staying on, to hold on from Jericho Lom, who was obviously coming closer in at the end. I just think Jericho Lom, if he makes those sort of errors in a Gold Cup, he's not going to come anywhere anywhere close. So I just think, out of them two, I'd probably head toward the real whacker, personally. Yeah, uh, I, I'd take Jericho Lom over him. Um, I, I really like this horse, but I, I can see it. And it, I wouldn't be absolutely stunned if these two meet in some kind of a race. Like, if they made it on trials day at Cheltenham, and Jerry Kalam was beaten by the real whacker. I wouldn't be, I'd be disappointed, but it wouldn't shock me because Patrick Neville has done an amazing job with them. Obviously, Sam Tristan Davis gets on terrifically well with them. Uh, and he is the only horse to beat Jerry Kalam in his life um, over over any obstacle. The, there's only one horse has beaten them, and, and that's the real whacker. Um, I, I just, I look at his position in the betting for Cheltenham as second favorite for a Gold Cup. I can't help but have a raised eyebrow to that. Like, is that based solely on his entry win? Because if it is, then you're not re. That's pretty disingenuous. 
Like it was, it, that's a great piece of placing from Gordon Elias. But remember what Gordon said. He did an interview with Lydia Hislov after winning. It might have been this race, or it could have been one of the other races he won that week. But I think it was immediately after Jerry Colomb's win. And Lydia was saying to him about his Punchestown team. And he said, yeah, well, sure, why do you think we're here? We don't want to be taking on Willie Mullins at Punchestown. Which is a fairly sorry state of affairs uh, when one of the best trainers in the world is openly saying in an interview, even if he's saying it in jest, even if he's being somewhat sarcastic, to be saying, yeah, we don't really want to go to Punchestown because we're just going to have to take on the might of Willie Mullins. Um, and it was it was a, a great week that week for, for Gordon at, at Aintree and obviously very emotional for Davey as well. But that's a nothing race. You know, you're beating... Galia Delato didn't turn up. Thomas Darby, not good enough. Braun, is Braun an elite grade one chaser from the Willie Mullins yard? No. Complete unknown. Paul Nicholas has got a great record in that race and he ends up being second best, but they're all... They're all putting their place by him, but they were entitled to be. He was rated higher than everything going into the race. Uh, he sent off an odds-on favourite. As long as he's come out of Cheltenham okay, he was going to win, and that's what happened. So I don't know if that then entitles him to be second favourite for the Gold Cup. It does mean that... And, and I, I really like Jerry Colomb. I really like this horse, but I, I couldn't be suggesting anybody back him at 8-1 to one for a Gold Cup. Um, and I think this might be a tricky season for him. There's... I'd love to see him in the in the Savills Gold Cup because I, un, unless there's an about turn and how they campaign Gallopon, um, maybe that's going to be a, a very winnable race. And you'd like to see him get his his Open Company Grade One. Um, Willie hasn't really announced yet what his plan is going to be for Gallopon de Champ this season, uh, but that's the race I'd love to see him in. I'd love to see him at Leopardstown at Christmas in that grade one. It's probably going to be soft ground as well. It's almost certainly going to be soft ground. And if not, we'll just we'll turn the taps on the night before and flood the place. Um, but you, I would love to see him there winning that race. And of course, that would shorten him for the Gold Cup. But that seems like the, the right race for me. Um, James Bond, what would, you, what would you be doing with Jerry Colomb? Gordon is listening. Desperately needs your advice. I, Desperately needs a helping hand. Where's he running him? I think Savo is a good, good shout. Um... I was just thinking then, like, why, why, why can't Jerry Colomb be ridden like the real whacker and um, use his stamina in that way? Um, I was just thinking, like, he he he's a good jumper. Like, I don't know him. I don't know him well enough to be saying that. Why don't they pop out on him? But um, I think you could easily like ride him that way. And and I think, like, if you turn the tables around and in Cheltenham and sort of. The real whacker is ridden like Jerry Colomb and vice versa. I think it would be a completely different result, to be honest. Um, the real whacker is a good jumper, but then he, you know, he got in such a good rhythm in front that he was able to jump the way he did. Whereas, you know, Jerry Colomb was getting stopped at some points. I think um, he's obviously just quite, quite slow. Not, not obviously really slow, but. He's not the quickest horse in the world, and he obviously has loads of stamina. I think, I think, why not use it? You know. <laughs> yeah, he has been ridden prominently in the past, didn't they? Do that at the Christmas meeting. I think he was pretty prominent there. Oh, I'm not sure. It's well. And he was definitely prominent at Aintree. Like Davy just decided, well, we're not going to mess around here. Um, yeah. But again, like again, like the Aintree race, he beat Brom earlier in the season. 
Like if he didn't beat Braun that day, something was very wrong. Um, yeah. So maybe that's not the race to to go on him with, and maybe at Cheltenham, the real whacker went out and just Sam made it very clear, I'm going to make the running, and you don't want to be cutting each other's throats up front. And there was a point in that race where he became quite badly outpaced. Um, yeah, for, for whatever for whatever reason, he just wasn't moving through the gears that day, um, and, and the real whacker managed to to gain a few lengths on him. But yeah, make it makes it. Sorry, Siri, I'm not asking you who's going to win the Gold Cup and what Jerry Kalama should be doing this season. Although maybe as AI continues to take over, maybe Siri is exactly the person to be talking to. Um, every time I go on YouTube, there's another video about the rise of AI, and I don't know whether I should then turn off Siri and ignore it all. Is this HAL 9000 and 2001 A Space Odyssey coming to fruition, or if we should all just be like completely embracing it. So I don't know what the hell's going on there. Uh, I'm not smart enough to know. But it, in terms of uh, in terms of Jerry Clam, I think the, the ideal race for him early in the season anyway is Savills. That's what I would be doing with him. Um, and yeah, and, and then obviously aim for a Gold Cup, but he needs to improve. Um obviously, but there's no reason to think that a summer on his back won't bring that improvement about. Uh, I just don't have any interest in backing him at the current price that he is. Um, right, boys, any other business? Anybody else to mention? Can we, James Woods, can we now finally stop the conversation that Protectorat is a genuine Gold Cup player? <laughs> the, has, has last season proven now that those days are over and he's got no chance of winning a Gold Cup? Nice horse, good grade one horse, might win a Betfair chase again, but he's not winning a Gold Cup. It's like saying he's a really nice guy, but I don't want to be his friend. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think he'll... Uh, yeah, I think those days I don't know. I think he, he had a chance, but no, nah, I think he's got no chance. I think I think the only one sort of I maybe, maybe give a little mention to would obviously, you mentioned him earlier, the home press. Mm. I think, you know, he obviously won the uh, the Brown Advisory really well the year before last. And I just think if he can get over his little issues, I know obviously Kempton undid him a little bit, but... I don't think he could come back and be, and be a pretty big player in the, in the Gold Cup, me personally, the home press. Yeah, um, I'd want to see him back. I want to see that he's retained his ability, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be dismissive of that at all. Um, James Bowen, we would be remiss not to mention the Grand National winner, Corrick Rambler, because he was tremendous in the, in the Ultima, um, winning that back-to-back. He was obviously fantastic in the Grand National itself, although he had a nice weight that day, but still... Uh, he was great, and I'm sure people who want to believe this horse can win a Gold Cup uh, and are met with the criticism of, well, Noble Yates proved it can't be done, would say, well, Noble Yates doesn't really, it seems, Noble Yates doesn't really go well at Cheltenham, just doesn't handle that track for whatever reason. He was well beaten in an Ultima, uh, he was well held in a trial at the Cheltenham Gold Cup, uh, Cheltenham Gold Cup trial and, on Trials Day. Uh, how many more times am I going to say the word trial? And and then obviously was well held in the Gold Cup itself. Um, ran a nice race, but just not good enough. Corrick Rambler is still, he still only had 10 lifetime runs. Um, 13 runs uh, in, in his entire life, only 10 runs over fences. And he is a Grand National winner. So is he is he one of the Grand National horses who could be a hedge hunter, a second in a Gold Cup, um, maybe even go on to win it? Or is he going to be vulnerable this year? I Yeah, why not? Um, I think whatever he does in the early part of the season probably won't... He could easily run not very good races to start with and, and turn up at the Gold Cup and run, run a good race because he doesn't seem to be so good 
uh, and the early part of the winter um, and the spring is sort of his time of year. So, um, yeah, he's he's obviously a good horse and I don't, like the Ultima worked out extremely well this year uh, that, uh, that he won. So, and he obviously won the national in, in great style. So, yeah, I, I like you could make a case for him for sure. Um, whether he'll be winning a gold cup now is probably, probably a bit too far to say. Um, but I could, I could easily see him now being a bit disappointing at the early part of the season and then turning up at the gold cup and running a mighty race, you know, so I wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all. James Woods. Your thoughts on his chances this season? Yeah, I think I tend to agree with James there. I think his early season runs don't normally amount to anything, but when it comes to the sort of springtime, he seems to absolutely come alive. I thought the Cheltenham run was obviously fantastic and, and the performance in the Gold Cup, I just thought it was exceptional. Like, obviously, we know the Gold Cup's a completely different style of race, so whether he could take his chance, I, I don't know, but I do think you're going to get a, a decent price on the day and, you know, it's always one of them where if a couple at the top of the market don't exactly fire, you know he's going to be staying on strong at the end and he could always pick up a place or even or even go one better if he was to turn up. But it's whether they're going to um, going to campaign him. Do they campaign him for a Gold Cup or do they, do they go for another national? I think you have to go for another Grand National and I don't really see any reason why he couldn't do a Tiger roll and go back to back. Like, he seems very well equipped for that. He jumped beautifully. He obviously stays. Uh, he's going to have a lot more weight on his back next year. And it won't be easy, but Tiger Roll did it, and uh, you're waiting for that next horse who can follow in his footsteps, and he seems perfectly equipped to do so. Maybe you're prepping him in a Gold Cup. You got to go somewhere, and like, is the Ultima really going to be a, a viable option for you next year? He's going to have a lot of weight in that race, so maybe you are going to tilt at a Gold Cup. I don't think he can win it personally, um, but I wouldn't be shocked if he placed. I, I would say. It's entirely possible this fella comes out and wins the many clouds, just like Noble Yates did. And then there's an immediate overreaction to that, just like Noble Yates. And he's cut down to eight to one. And people start writing about, oh, he's an each way bet to nothing in the Gold Cup. It's just, it's never that simple. Um, but if there is a Grand National winner in recent times who could actually do it, it's him because of his Cheltenham record. Maybe. But um, I'm not falling over myself to back him. Quick mention to the sponsor of today's episode, Venator Racing Social. They are the name to trust when thinking of attending horse racing abroad. The aim at Venator Racing Social is to make the world of horse racing more accessible, giving you access to horse racing holidays all over the world, ranging from the prestigious world-renowned festivals to the more unique but equally exciting race courses across the globe. At Venator Racing Social, they pride themselves on offering a bespoke service to all their clients, guaranteeing each and every customer an unforgettable horse racing experience with that personal touch. The team of dedicated racing and travel professionals have traveled the world attending race meetings and sporting events, endeavoring to bring their knowledge and experience to every package, thus giving you peace of mind that you'll be looked after every step of the way along with having access to the best restaurants and hospitality at each racecourse. 
Venator's huge range of horse racing holidays capture the imagination of racegoers, syndicate members, and owners' groups alike. So whether you're looking for a five-star gravy train with bells on luxury holiday or a more affordable trip, Venator Racing Social have all the options for everyone, including Irish Champions Weekend, the Arc de Triomphe Weekend, a Vienna Weekend Tour, which is something I'm hoping to go on. It's not really a racing trip. It's more of an equine trip incorporates a show and behind-the-scenes private tour of the Spanish Riding School and visits to the exquisite Christmas markets in Vienna. We fly out on Friday the 24th of November that morning. We fly back on Monday the 27th of November. And it sounds like it's going to be a brilliant, brilliant weekend. I'm really looking forward to that. Next year, they've got the Dublin Racing Festival covered, the St. Moritz White Turf Package. That would be magic. Uh, Cheltenham Festival, of course, and the Dubai World Cup. Now, is 2024 finally the year that I make it to Dubai and get to the Dubai World Cup? I know you're so anxious about that. That is your priority. Is Kennedy going to get to the Dubai World Cup? I don't know. But hopefully, hopefully next year is finally the year that I go. And who knows, maybe you will be there alongside me. Find out more at venator.co.uk. That's V-E-N-A-T-O-U-R.co.uk. Get a list at the full racing packages and indeed various different sporting packages as well. There's bespoke Formula One packages, rugby trips, cricket trips. But for us, it's all about the racing. You can check it all out at venator.co.uk. Tell them the final Forlum podcast sent you. You're calling out prices. Bookmakers prices on this channel, right? You couldn't have two bananas to a banana with the bookmakers. You couldn't have two bananas to a banana with the bookmakers. You are talking absolute rubbish. The clowns and you that are on there, that's why I wouldn't want it. You are one of these takeout merchants. You couldn't have two bananas to a banana with the bookmakers. Right, the show's over, boys. Thank you very much. Let's talk about the Ryanair division, let's. John Bond is 6-1. to One, one firm are going 6-1, to one, so we'll give him the fact that that is available. Just very briefly on him, he gets beaten in the Arkle, really put in his place that day by El Fabiolo, quite frankly. On the back of that, he goes to Aintree and wins, and then comes out and wins at Sandown. And I see these various different comments from people who are big fans of John Bond saying, oh, he's there. that proves it. That proves it. He's a champion chaser in the making. Just Things didn't go right at Cheltenham. He didn't have the right pace that day. And, oh, let him out. Let us at El Fabiolo again. This time we'll knock him out. There's a problem with that. Like they were really smart performances. He was very good at Aintree and he was good at, at Sandown. He didn't have to face an Ergamine and he didn't have to face El Fabiolo. He was put in his place fair and square. Surely this season, he needs to go up and trip, not stay at two miles. I, I mean, I completely agree with you there. I think it's similar to Jerry Colon when he goes and wins a race after Cheltenham where he's completely entitled to win those races. And I do think you're right. It was a big overreaction to them, I thought El Fabiolo is just looks an absolute machine that completely put him in his place, fair and square. And I think the step up for John Bonds, hundred percent, got to be on the cards for the Ryanair. Surely they won't uh, fancy taking El Fabiolo on again, surely. Well, I just wonder if there's going to be a, a, a fear that they fall into the trap of now thinking, oh yeah, well actually maybe he could win a Tinkle Creek, and he might, you know, he might be able to win a Tinkle Creek, depending on what Willie does. If Willie decides to break tradition and not go for the hilly way in Cork with uh, an Ergamine, if he comes over for it, uh, then you're in trouble. 
if El Fabiolo comes over for a Tinkle Creek, then John Bond's in trouble. Um, but there were those, there were those well actually people, James Bowen. Well, actually, uh, John Bond's stride analysis is far superior to that of El Fabiolo's. And, well, actually, the pace of the Cheltenham race didn't go to plan. No, these are the same people who were telling you El Fabiolo wouldn't get round in the article. The same people who were telling you, oh, John, don't be worried about that performance at Warwick. Nothing to see there. Nothing to be concerned about. He's going to blow El Fabiolo to pieces. And then he didn't. And then it's just copium when he wins those two races afterwards. Uh, there were terrific performances uh, well done to Nicky. Well done to Aiden Coleman. I'm a big fan of Aiden's. I think he's one of the best jockeys in the weighing room. But you're not facing Ergamine and you're not facing El Fabiolo in either of those two races. Ergamine murdered Captain Guinness. He murdered him. John Bond didn't. <laughs> so on a line through him, yeah, I, go up. Yeah, I, I really, I, I was really gutted. I, he didn't go for the two and a half mile novice in Cheltenham like he he'd have beat stage star wouldn't he oh yeah um so like yeah and even if you went back down to two mile then after for them two races after the season wouldn't have been a problem so I think I think saying starting in the Tingle Creek actually wouldn't be a problem but like for the rest of the season you'd want to see him in the Ascot chase um in I think it's middle of February and then go to the Ryanair. Like, I think he's been, I think he'll probably stay three mile if you wanted him to. Um, I, he definitely wants further than two mile, I think. Now that's, this is great because I'm pulling a switcheroo here because there is a quote from Nicky Henderson where he says something to the effect of, if you wanted him to stay three miles, he'd stay it. And it's, that's not on his pedigree. Uh, like obviously he's a full brother to Duvan and and so most people would look at that and say well he wouldn't get it standing in a horse box uh, no, your boss has said that, he, he said oh he'd get three miles no problem, he relaxes really well in his races something along the lines of ah, if we wanted him to get it, he'd get it no problem ah. but he'd, he'd stay I, I have no doubt in my mind that he would stay is it in any way possible, James Bowen that Nicky would aim at the Gold Cup this season I mm, uh- I don't think so. <laughs> Dang it. I don't think so. I think I don't, I don't. I don't see why not. Like I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure you get the trip. But I would he win a gold cup though? Like is he is he actually good enough to to go that far? And for me, it's probably not really. So um, like you wouldn't mind seeing him in a King George, but then you're probably taking off on Shishkin and Braveman's game again. Yeah. So. Division, the division over three mile, oh, like three mile plus is, is a, a very good one. So like, at the moment, what is the point? I'd say, um, but like the t- two and a half is probably a lot more open. Uh, you got Alaho in there, which is obviously an extremely good horse and very hard to beat. But, um, like when you look down. At this two and a half mile division, um, you got Pick Dory as well. Um, you know, they, 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 it's a lot more open than the two mile or the three miles. So, and he'll definitely get two and a half miles. So, I, I, why wouldn't you just stick at that? Well, that's, well, that's what I'd be thinking anyway. Yeah, and to be fair, he'd only be eight by the time the Ryanair came around. So, if he does like bolt up and win it by five lengths. Um, and there's some kind of mindset of, oh, like a Vitour mindset of, oh, God, we should have gone for the Gold Cup. 
Like we've made a we've made a terrible mistake, uh, and unfortunately, Vitor never got the opportunity to be able to strut his stuff in a Gold Cup. But John Bon is young enough that he could do that, and it's entirely possible that the three mile two and a half furlongs of the Cheltenham Gold Cup is just way too much for him. Um, but this is his trip. This is where they need to be going, and I I would absolutely agree with you that you could take him to the Tinkle Creek at Sandown and then go up. My concern would be. It's going to be interesting to see who even turns up to that race this year because if Willie decides to skip it with his two leading two-milers, um, even gentleman to me, if he wasn't to turn up, then, like, is Edward Stone okay? Like, is he coming back? What What's the story with him? He ended up being terribly disappointing at the end of the season. Like, that might look like a very winnable Tinkle Creek, but you might fool yourself into thinking, oh, we do have a two-miler. Because if you're, if you're winning a nothing version of the Tinkle Creek then you're almost obliged to go for uh, the Desert Orchid Chase at Christmas and stay to two miles. And then you're compromising your chance of going up in distance later in the season. Whereas if you are if you start out in a Tinkle Creek and then immediately go, yeah, great, that was today and today only, uh, for a limited time only, he's run, running a two-mile grade one chase in open company. Now we're going up in distance. Then you're giving yourself a, a far more realistic chance of being able to go and win at Cheltenham. And it's not a great division, the two-and-a-half-miler. I mean, you mentioned Pictorian were saying, yeah, he's a nice horse. Yeah, he is, but he's... I mean, even Harry Cobden said on this show, he's not really a grade one horse. He's a he's an elite grade two horse. That's that's what he is. Um, and, and who knows what the story is with Alaho? You know, who who knows what's going on with him? El Fabiolo is definitely a two-miler. Uh, Envoyalen, obviously on his day, is exceptionally capable. Pervious would be interesting, but surely she'll go for back-to-back mayor's chases, I, I would imagine, although she's entitled yeah. to step up. Um, so this is here for the taking. This is the 6-1 to one about John Bond for the Ryanair chase, James Woods, is probably the biggest banker anchor for the anti-post lucky 31 that I can find. Like, he's just... You can point at all kinds of short price favorites for Cheltenham in the anti-post betting right now and say, yeah, he'll win. But he's the one horse at a reasonable price that I could be very, very confident about and very excited about. Yeah, when you're looking down in in the Ryanair market, you'd have to say he's he's the one that's nailed on to go here and the price is is a bigger is a biggish price. And like you say there, you've got question marks really against the rest. You know, the likes of Alaho is obviously the big question mark. Will he come back? at the same level that he has previously shown, you know, even if he does come back, it's going to take a, a monumental effort uh, to come back to win another Ryanair. And obviously El Fabiolo looks, looks the two miler. I think the impervious is, is the interesting one. I think, I mean, you say she, she probably will go for another mares, which would obviously be probably the easier route for them. Cause there's not many mares uh, in training at the moment that are going to get, get much close to, uh, to impervious. So it'd be interesting if she, if they decide to take the chance in this, I'd definitely put her up there with John Bon uh, if they do take the chance. And like I say, the rest of them, you just got to to think, you know, what what the most of them go elsewhere. Maybe Bambridge might take his chance here if the ground comes up a little bit better. But it's just going to cut up so much, and and John Bond's definitely not going to be six to one uh, come later on in the season. So yeah, it'd be definitely a nice price to be taking now. I think. Yeah. Um, don't do it, Nikki. Don't fall into the trap of thinking. Oh, maybe he could do the two mile. Maybe, maybe you know. Maybe we'll give it another go over two mile. No, 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 no. Not good enough. Uh, not good enough. Not fast enough. But absolutely good enough to win. 
uh, a Ryanair. On Banbridge, James Woods, um, he obviously missed the Cheltenham Festival, comes out at Aintree, wins a grade one, um, beat Stage Star that day. Stage Star just didn't show up. Uh, he was terrific in, in the Cheltenham Festival, but was given a great ride from the front. Like, he's ground dependent. He needs, it has to be good, and if there's no good in the ground, then he's in trouble. But how highly do you rate his prospects for the new season? Yeah, I, I, I do like Banbridge. Like, like you say, though, he is very ground dependent. I think unless he gets that, that decent ground, he may struggle, but I just think he needs to be campaigned a little bit better than over the sort of the intermediate trip with the aim for a Ryanair. And I think if they keep him sound, I do think he'd be one of them to give it up to uh, to John Bond. But again, like you say, he's it, so ground dependent. I think if it's anywhere near soft, you can basically write him off and it probably will be a big price, to be honest. Yeah, uh, if it's soft ground, just forget about it. Just draw a line through him and, um, and give up, quite frankly. But if he's turning up with good in the ground description, then yeah, he's a major player. Uh, I like that horse an awful lot. Uh, and he would be a, a leading contender for a Ryanair chase, were it to be... Uh, assuming you're getting the right ground, bear in mind that this is running a day where he had to come out on, on the equivalent of it last year, or what would be last year. But 16 to 1 could be big. I'd certainly be more interested in taking 16 to 1 about him than the JLT winner, Stage Star. I, I can't help but look at him, James Bowen, and just think another example of a great ride from Harry Cobden, but you can't help but think that he just kind of nicked it from the front. Yeah, I think, um, oh, 100%. He definitely got the run of the race. And, um, like, you can't, I, I couldn't have him for, you know, contending in them um, grade one races. But then, you know, he could be one for, like a Peterborough or a Sylvania Conti, um, sort of like what Pictoria is winning. I think he's probably a grade two horse, but like he has to probably have a lot to go his way to win a grade one, which happened to him in Cheltenham. And um, yeah, he's given an absolute beast by Cobden to win that day. Cracking ride. It's great for Paul Nichols because, I mean, Paul is a legend and you need him winning grade ones at Cheltenham. It can't be that he's winning a Fred Winter. It can't be that he's winning a, a Fox Hunters. And I'm, that's not me being sarcastic at all. I'm saying you genuinely need an elite trainer like him and an elite trainer like Paul, uh, like Nicky Henderson winning grade ones at Cheltenham. Because if they're not doing that, then it's the Irish are taking over. And that's great for us, but it's not good for the sport. There needs to be proper competition. And um, I'm fascinated to see what he does this season. He surprised a few people as the season went on, and maybe he'll maybe he'll have egg all over my face and, and go and win an open company grade one. But I think if he does, it'll be benefiting from another Cobden masterclass. Uh, finally, that's to the two mile division. Then, if there's if there's nobody else to mention there, and if there is, far away. Um, but if not, we're going to go into the champion chase division where El Fabiolo is favourite to continue the great record of Arkle winners in the champion chase the next season. However, he will be taking on his stable companion and reigning dual champion chaser in Energamine. Um, Constitution Hill is priced up for this race, boys. Is, what's the chances, <laughs> James Bone, of Nicky Henderson just rolling the dice, going over fences, and going straight into a champion chase with him? Wouldn't you love to see it? I would, anyway. Um, yeah, why not? I think I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to see him go over fences. Um, and for me, I, if, I was, if he was mine, I... I, I Obviously, run him in a couple of novices, but I'd be going for the champion chase rather than the the Arco. Anyway, um, I'm not sure whether they'll do that, but why not? Um, 
he's he's just incredible, isn't he? So I think he'd probably beat whatever put in front of him. Like that's if he jumps fences. That is so. Um, yeah. yeah, I I interviewed Barry Geraghty on the morning of the the morning after the champion hurdles. It was Champion Chase Day, and I, I was asking him like, "What do you think Nicky will do? Will he go over fences next year?" And he was saying how he's obviously schooled over them because he's a point of point, uh, point to point horse, having been beaten. It's amazing to think he was beaten by any harm in asking. Um, and that horse has not gone forward at all. But he was saying that he has schooled over fences and like schooled very well. Now I don't know if he was referring to Seven Barrows or if he was referring to the, his time with Barry before he went to Nicky, um, but that he was he was a natural over them and that all options would be open to him. Um, and he is unbelievably exciting. Uh, like if that that seems to be the 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 big hang up that people have that if he does go over fences, oh, it'll be a novice campaign. Um, and I don't really have a problem with that. Like if if Nicky decides fences and keep him to novice company and win an Arkle, that's still a prestigious race. It's still a Cheltenham Festival race. But if he did, if he does send him over fences, and if he's blitzing everything like he is over hurdles, and Nicky turned around and said you know what, we're going to roll the dice and go for a champion chase. Oh my God. The excitement, the prospect, like that would be, maybe we shouldn't dream about it because the prospect of seeing this guy strutty stuff in a second champion hurdle is is mouth-watering. But the idea of seeing him with that stride, that pace, um, that picture that Paul Jacobs put up on Twitter of him jumping the final flight at Cheltenham 10 feet before he actually got to it and being in full swing mode going across it. The idea of him doing that over fences, oh my God, that's some prospect. I mean, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it would be class to see. Um, I think, um, yeah, I th- the only thing is, I, I'd say, like, he's by Blue Brazil, but he, um, which would normally be a little bit ignorant to jump a fence, which I'm sure he's, He's probably fine, but um, he wouldn't have schooled at seven barrows yet. But I'm sure uh, Barry probably schooled him over fences. But yeah, it'd be class to see. And and hopefully, if he went, if he wins the Champion Jays this year, he'll win the Gold Cup next year. Oh, what a story! If there's a horse who can do it, and like we keep having these conversations, like the there was the chat about Annie Power going over fences after winning the Champion Hurdle and trying to emulate Don Run, and it just doesn't happen. Like those days, yeah. those days seem to have come and gone. Like the the legendary days of a horse winning a champion hurdle and then going on to win a gold cup. Like it just seems fanciful now. But then a horse like Frankel emerges on the scene, and I know heresy to be mentioning the flat. But without the flat, you don't have the jumps game. Um, a horse like See the Stars emerges, wins a two thousand guineas, goes unbeaten, and wins an arc. Like it does happen. You do get these anomalies uh, every now and again it's few and far between and if there is a horse who can do that it's constitution hill um can you just what is it like being at seven barrows and seeing this fellow work in the morning and and was there a moment early in his in his time doing a piece of work where you were either working him or working against him where you saw him do something that made you go oh, the hype is real uh, yeah i uh I actually sat on him very early on. Uh, he'd only been there. Well, I, can't, I couldn't remember how long now, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't have done any work, proper work. And um, I had a little sit on him, and and uh, the boss said to me, "Oh, he hasn't. 
he hasn't been showing much. He hasn't got much about him because he kind of just um, he just walks around like a like an old pony club pony. Sort of never never picks the bridle up. And uh, we we're going. We did two or three up the all weather. Uh, just two actually, and we worked up the second time. And I was with a horse probably rated about 130, with quite a good workhorse. And I thought, I I I n- never really thought much about it, and and joined joined this horse anyway. And within, I was like, I felt like I was hacking, and the other horse upside me was kind of squeezing a little bit. So I gave mine a little squeeze, like constitutional little squeeze. Um, nothing much, literally just a rub of the heel. And he bit nearly took off into orbit with me, and uh, I I got to the top. It felt like I was go I was taking off on an aeroplane, and uh, I got down and saw the boss, and I said, "Geez, I think this one will be all right." And he's like, "Wow, that's the he's he's not shown that before." So um, yeah, I think that was probably the start of it. And then when he's worked since that, that's the last time I've ridden him now, and that was uh, a couple of years ago, but. Um, yeah, I I got banned from sitting on him again. So, um, but no, um, it's ever since though. Like, he's ridiculous to work. Like, a horse cannot just just can't keep up with him, and he makes everything look so easy. And he's just he's just one of a kind. Like, I've ne- I've I've ridden work with Altior and Shishkin, and you know they they they're obviously good workhorses but this guy just takes it to the new level altogether he's just incredible yeah i mean i was going to say, they were the two examples i was going to use like there's incredible elite horses like altior had set that unbelievable unbeaten record until surname came along um but he had set that that phenomenal record so obviously working alongside him or getting to work him would be special uh, Shishkin had obviously done everything he had done um, up until last season, and then he bounces back at entry. But clearly, a very special racehorse. How different is Constitution yeah. Hill to those two? As in terms of riding a piece of work, knowing that that's an elite horse in Altior, and he's going to do something special even in the mornings. That's an elite horse in Shishkin. How different is Constitution Hill to them in terms of being around him? Like Altior was. Um, a very like impressive horse to look at, and um, like you, you'd know you'd pick him out from any string, and you know he'd sort of be strutting his stuff, and you know be on his toes, and just be happy, uh, like a happy horse would, um, and obviously work well, um, and then constitutional. No, sorry, Shishkin would be probably a bit lazier um again you'd pick him out probably in the string um but he he wouldn't be the best workhorse probably he'd work well but not 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 incredibly well whereas constitutional looks like every other horse in the string and you could put your uh, you could put your little little granddaughter on him if you have one so um like you could you could put anyone on him and um you know, he he just wouldn't look out of place. He just knows what he's doing, and uh, like unless you can just canter him along, and he, he only does it when you ask him as well, which is amazing. And he just whenever you you just slight slight squeeze the leg, and he's just like he's just gone within strides. It's incredible. Um, 
Oh, I've never seen anything like it, and I probably won't ever see anything like it again, I'd say. So, so it's not like he's very free or keen. It's not like he's just going to... Like, Frankel clearly was very much on edge, and the slightest, the slightest touch, I'd say, from Tom Queeley would make him just take off, whereas Constitution Hill seems to be a lot more controlled. Unless you ask him to do it, he won't, which is yeah. an incredible ability for him to have, that, that he has the temperament and the mentality... To, to hold on to himself and not get too carried away. That's a massive advantage for, pardon the pun, but for his constitution as well going forward. 100%, yeah. Like, um, as you say, like, control is, is a massive thing in a race. And, like, you've got the most control on him when you're riding him. Like, um, like he won't pull, but then, you know, he won't be behind the bridle as such because you can just... Like if when you squeeze him, he'll be straight into your hands if you ever need him. And I'm sure when when Nico really gets after him, then he then he gives you gives you everything. So like that's the ultimate thing you look for in a racehorse. And yeah, I think like, he's just he's just got everything down to perfection. Like he's just he's just the perfect animal. If he's yours, or if. Nikki is taking votes in the yard and saying, right, what do we do? Do you just stay over hurdles, dominate that division, try and emulate Isterbrack and win four Cheltenham Festival races in a row, three champion hurdles? He's already won two Cheltenham Festival races in a row with a Supreme and a champion. Or do you aim for more? Do you go over fences? And, and if so, um, are you sticking to the two mile division? Like, what do you do with him? What do you expect Nikki to do with him this year? Um, I don't. I honestly don't know. Like, I wouldn't know where to. Like, I honestly don't know what they're thinking, and I'm sure they don't really know themselves. Like, you don't know how he's going to jump a fence really um, until he runs over one. So you can get an idea at home and. If I was going to vote now from the outside looking in, then I'd say I want to see him over a fence all day. Um, but like, you know, if he if he goes and schools a couple of times over fences at home and is is awful, then there is no point in tr even trying it. So, like, I suppose we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. And I'm sure it'd be fine over fences if if he ever does go over them. But for me, I want to see him over fences definitely, and I want to see him. If he's going to go over fences, I want to see him in the champion chase, if 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 that's ever possible. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, James. And to bring in James Woods, like, it's real easy. The easiest thing in the world is to be an armchair critic here, be an armchair jockey, be a Monday morning quarterback, or, or all the other cliches, because whatever they decide to do, there's going to be people complaining. Like, if Nicky decides, all right, let's just stay over hurdles, that's not an easy decision to make. And if he gets injured, that's obviously a, a real shame. But if you're going with his season now, uh, and, and please God he stays fit and well, then there is nothing wrong with trying to emulate Isterbrack's great achievements. Like, no other horse has done that since him. Um, he's widely regarded as one of the greatest horses, never mind hurdlers of all time. So if you're trying to just go and dominate the champion hurdle for years to come, and that was one of my criticisms of Thistlecrack's connections, like, why would you go over fences? You can just win the stairs hurdle every year for the next few years. Um, but they wanted to win a King George and they wanted to try and win a Gold Cup. And they got one of those. Um, the rest of it didn't quite work out for him. Uh, so 
and, and for, for those of us like me who would love to see him over fences just because you want to see if that brilliance over hurdles can be even better. Like, what if he's better over fences than he is over hurdles? Which is something Dennis O'Regan has said on the show a number of times. Like, <laughs> there's a pretty frightening prospect. And you might then in two years' time have Constitution Hill versus Gallop on Deschamps in a Gold Cup. There's, there's, no, there's no easy answer to this, basically. Um... And there's going to be plenty of people, James Woods, sitting on the sidelines going, eh, you're taking the lazy way out by going over hurdles. Or, ah, you should have continued to dominate over hurdles if they go over fences. It's it's not an easy one for the Henderson team to come up with. No, it's definitely not. And I completely agree with you there where you say whichever way they decide to go, they're going to come in with some sort of criticism. But I just think for me, again, looking from the outside, when you get a horse that's this this good, I mean, I personally, just, I want to see him tested. And I think if they do stay over hurdles, I just can't really see him being being tested to a point where you think, let's sort of see what he's got when it comes to the nitty gritty type of thing. Because he just wins his races so easily and, and nothing can get anywhere close where if you do go down the chasing route, and I do agree with you there, I don't think he'd, he don't think he'd need a novice chasing uh, season and, and an arkle. I think I'd love to see him in a champion chase. I think him and El Fabiolo would be some clash. But... Um, I just I want to see him tested, and I think that the fences route is the way to go for us to get that. Because I just think you go through the champion hurdle uh, market, and he's beaten most of them already, and, and the the rest of them are probably going to go chasing themselves just to stay away from Constitution Hill. So, like I say, he's going to get criticism either way. But I mean, I'd love to see him over a fence, but I kind of see why they might take the so-called easy route. I think Barry Connell might be the only person who's really properly come out. Maybe maybe Willie with Fasal Vega. Uh, to really say, oh yeah, we're going chasing. Um, but everybody else, it is interesting to see that people just want to see where Constitution Hill goes because wherever he goes, they're going the other way. Like, is is Stateman going to go chasing? Because there's no point in him running in another champion hurdle if Constitution Hill is going to be there. Um, and and there, might be, there will definitely be people who are looking at going novice chasing who then hear, oh yeah, Constitution Hill is going over fences. And they're like, nah, actually, I'll forget it. Just, and and that's the amazing power this horse has. Um, he's unbelievably exciting. Um, look, whatever they choose to do, it's going to be really, really cool. Uh, John Bond is, is a seven to one shot for the champion chase. Don't do it, Nikki. We've had this conversation. Edward Stone, if I had told you that on the 30th of August, 2023, the price for Edward Stone for the champion chase will be 20 to one, you'd have been calling the men in white coats. He's been saying, what is he talking about? There's no way he's that big a price. Um, questions. Questions over that fella. Uh, Blue Lord. Oh, my Blue Lord champion chase project. It went horribly wrong. 33s. Uh, right, to put a put a bow on this then. Uh, James Bone, who is your who is your leading fancy for the two-mile division? Is it the defending champion? Uh, champion chaser in Ergamine? Or are you more interested in his stable companion, El Fabiolo, or something from left field? Uh, I think El Fabiolo for me, really. I think he'll probably be the dom. He'll probably dominate this division. I think. Um, I think Anergamine, like he was a bit hit and miss last year. Um, I I I can see like he'll be ten now in the in the come in, in the next year. So I'd say for me, I'd probably go. Alpha, I'd say if they were to come up to, against each other, I'd go Al Fabiolo. And 
Yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't think of anything else to throw into the mix, to be honest. It was a weak division last year at James Woods. Um, and it was kind of... There were times, like that Clarence House chase, if that hadn't been reopened when it was switched from Ascot to Cheltenham, then that was going to be a three-runner race. Um, and, and in the end, we do get editor to Keith and we get the, the result that we got. But even the champion chase itself was, what, a seven-runner race? Like, it's just not a deep division. Um, but look, we do get El Fabiola coming into it this year. And it is, it's a little bit disappointing that it's, the Willie Mullins uh, brigade taking each other on in that, like which which one's Willie going to win it with, El Fabiolo or Anergamine? But they're two very special horses. Um, I almost feel like you should go with Anergamine because he's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. He's a dual champion. He might very well have won the Arkle that year, although James Bond's not going to like me saying that, had he not gotten injured and Shishkin went and did what he did. Um, but you're getting 7-2 about him. And... Seven to four, two to one about El Fabiolo, and and I'm saying that as a huge El Fabiolo fan. Uh, so what what is your mindset for the Oracle or for the Champion Chase even? Dear you me. Yeah, I mean, if you go, like you say, you go back and, and and look at the previous couple of years Champion Chases that Energa means won, and and you'd have to sort of sit back and say, well, the leading contender against him both times has kind of not run their race. Obviously, Shishkin and Edward Stone mm. both just coming up coming up uh, Trump's at the, on the day and Energamine taking what you would have to look back and say were probably two easy enough races for him. And I think it's kind of funny because it's almost as though Willie Mullins has just taken it upon himself to get himself beat because no one else can do it uh, with El Fabiolo. And and I think I don't think El Fabiolo will, will be the one to be on. I do think he'll beat Energamine. Obviously, like I say, with Energamine being 10 year old now, I just think El Fabiolo looks the type to to be ready to go on the day. And I can't see him sort of not putting in a performance, to be honest, although he is quite short this early out. But again, like you mentioned earlier on with anti-post betting, it's, it's always going to be tough and you could be looking at a two-to-one and thinking that's quite big on the day. Yeah, very easily. I mean, it's not that far-fetched that El Fabiolo is even money, um, particularly if an Ergamine ends up having another, you know, another questionable um, prep run, which is, Probably what is going to happen. I mean, he's been beaten in his in his prep runs for the last two champion chases. So why would that be any different this time around? Um, and, and listen, Punchestown wasn't flawless, you know that. But again, Punchestown, it's a great meeting. I just I don't I don't hold that form up as a rock uh, and say, oh, it happened to Punchestown. Therefore, that's what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Um, I, I'd be more inclined to look at what happened to Cheltenham, and he was devastatingly good that day. For all that, you're absolutely right. The the leading contender against him for the last two years has, has mysteriously bombed out, which is just odd. Um, but he's a he's a leading contender again, and I think seven to two right now. I'll take seven to two in Ergamine over two to one El Fabiolo, but uh, I respect both. Okay, who would be the one horse? I suppose James, you're not allowed to bet, so I have to phrase this differently. Uh, of all of the horses that we've talked about, who is the one horse? If I had the power as an agent, to be able to secure you the ride for the entire season, who was the one horse we've talked about that you would love to ride for the entire year? Um, I'd say John Bond, probably. Let's go! <laughs> Aiden Coleman, turn off the podcast. <laughs> turn, cover your ears in. Yeah, well, it's probably more realistic than than any of the Irish ones. So, <laughs> um, 
I'm going to go for an English one. Yeah, I'll say John Bond. Okay. And and then hopefully Aidan Coleman will be steering him to success in the Ryanair, but only after you've partnered him to some grade one success in, in the meantime. Um, yeah, I'm all about him for the Ryanair. I, th- I think that's seven to one. Uh, hopefully we have Aidan on the show pretty soon. Uh, I think the eight to one about him for the Ryanair is way, way, way... Uh, we're not getting eight to one, Trish. For a second there, I was like, what? We should be taking out a mortgage. Uh, six to one for the Ryanair chase. I think that's way too big. Uh, James Woods. Yeah, I think if you're talking about um, a horse for me to ride all season, I think El Fabiola is probably the other one that would be a pair of my whip, to be honest. Uh, What's so the one horse that we've talked about that you want to back? <laughs> uh, the one I probably would back, uh, personally, it, it probably is going to be El Fabiola. I don't think he's going to be beaten in the champion chase, to be honest. I, I really do like him. And I know we mentioned one earlier, but I think Impervious... For not for the Ryanair, but for the Mares Chase, I think she's she's phenomenal. I really like her, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably be on them two all season long. To be honest, if she, if she went into Open Company, would you want to see her in the Ryanair or in the Gold Cup? That's a very good question. I, I mean, for me personally, I probably would go for the Gold Cup with her. Obviously, getting the weight, I think she looks like the further she goes, the better she'll be. And I think the Ryanair. Obviously, it's the sim- similar distance to the uh, the Mayor's Chase, but I just think the Gold Cup would suit her down to the ground, and I think it would be, be some story to watch her take a chance. But whether they will, I'm not sure. But she'd be a good prize. I'd certainly have it each way on her for the Gold Cup. Yeah, just because of John Bond, and because we're all convinced that that's the route that he'll be going, um, I doubt they'd go Ryanair with her. And I don't even see the point, really. Like... If you're going to win a two and a half mile chase at Cheltenham, well, then just go win the mayor's race again. Like, what's wrong with that? But if you are going to go into open company, then 33 to 1 about impervious for the Gold Cup is probably too big. So I'm going to put a score on impervious today at 33s. I am. I'm probably throwing away 20 quid. But I'm going to back her at 33s. And then let's see how the season unfolds. Um very very exciting horse, and she, my goodness, I I thought the, um, I thought Allegor Devasi was a solid moral at Cheltenham, and she destroyed her, and then was so good at Punchestown as well. So yeah, thirty threes about her for the Gold Cup, um, and I'm with, I'm with John Bond, um, all day long. I think that's six to one with a one particular bookmaker is standout for the Ryanair chase. Take it. Uh, all right, we're going to do another jumps show very, very soon. I believe we've got Dennis O'Regan back in the house and Katie will be here as well. So looking forward to that. Uh, James Woods, great debut. Uh, again, where can Final Furlong Podcast listeners get your uh, your new content, your new book for the season? Yeah, if you, if you go to my uh, my Twitter, it's at Woodsy92 with three Ws. So make sure you remember that. But yeah, I've got it available on there. Like I said, just raising some money for a great charity, Hull for Heroes. Uh, they do a lot of great work helping um, veterans uh, climatise back to um, civilian life and and supporting them and the families and things. So it's a great cause. So if anyone fancies uh, donating for my uh, my jumpers to follow guide, then head over to there and uh, just drop me a message and we'll uh, we'll sort it out and hopefully raise some good money. That's a great cause. Uh, that's a wonderful cause. Um, imagine you give your life in service of your country and then you're almost discarded when you come back. It's bloody disgraceful. Um, but well done. It's a wonderful thing to do. And... Um, I know there are armed service members who listen to the show uh, on deployment, so 
Hope you're all well. Hope you're all keeping safe and hope you're enjoying the show and getting ready for the new jump season. Um, James Bone, you're going to be with me on TalkSport 2 this week. Looking forward to that. Uh, when can we expect to see you back on the track? Uh, hopefully not long anyway. Hopefully all my CT scan results are all good. And then um, after that, it should be a couple of weeks, hopefully. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed anyway. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing you back on the track. Looking forward to your company on TalkSport 2 as well. Uh, more great content coming your way on the Final Furlong Podcast very, very soon. Thank you for listening. If you liked it, make sure you've hit the subscribe and follow button on your favorite podcast app, whichever one it is, and hit them with the RT, the likes and shares on social media. It already helps the algorithm. From the two Jameses and from me, we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Be safe, be well. God bless.